a show where four Catholic men opine on current affairs of the world, the matters of faith, culture, and politics. It's unfiltered, it's daring, and it's certainly unapologetic. The Rundown is a weekly news show. But it's more than that. It's a family of like-minded Catholics who are preparing for the coming chastisement. We cover church news, politics, and current events around the world, linking them in a way no one else does, giving youth perspective no one else can. The Rundown is not meant for children because it informs and prepares parents, young adults, seminarians, even priests watch The Rundown to know about the most pressing and evolving threats to the Catholic faith today. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com This is your weekly addiction, your news addiction. The Rundown is here with you on a Friday night, a bit earlier than normal because we have an international guest. Very excited to talk to you. The world is in flames right now. Governments are being overthrown. Economies are being brought to their knees. And this week, we're going to take you to all those stories that no one dares cover. Meanwhile, the usurper-in-chief bumbles around and doesn't quite know where he is. Hello, useless eaters. As your unqualified, non-elected global human health overlord, I'd like to take this opportunity to flaunt my position of power and influence over society and share some of my plans for you and your future. When I amassed my fortune in computer software, I demonstrated that I was willing to lie, steal code, cheat my partners, and exercise monopolistic control to destroy my competitors. Now that I've retired, I can rebrand myself as a humanitarian. With my for-profit foundation masquerading as a charity, I can advocate for population reduction and sponsor mass human experiments with unproven vaccines in vulnerable populations. Like my father, a powerful banker, eugenicist, and Rockefeller crony himself, it's always been my ambition to decide who lives and, more importantly, how many have to die. Whether it's under the guise of climate change or world health, it's really all about controlling and culling the human herd for fun and profit. In November of last year, I hosted Event 201, a war game simulation of a global pandemic. Leaders from private corporations, global banks, governments, and the media got together to strategize ways they could align in lockstep when responding to a worldwide health crisis. Using a coordinated campaign of fear-mongering, intimidation, social shaming, and economic blackmail, we realized that we could get around dangerous philosophies like individual liberty and national sovereignty. With an obedient population, we would be free to implement our own top-down solutions like forced quarantines, social distancing, contact tracing, and mandatory testing as a means to seize technocratic control of society. Now imagine my excitement when we had the opportunity to release, uh, declare our own global pandemic. It was my chance to look like the Nostradamus of public health and to position myself and business partners like Dr. Fauci as the de facto authorities on response and solutions. Through exaggerated doomsday scenarios and computer simulations, our petty control freaks instituted harsh rules and draconian lockdowns. Two nations. Two militaries, two allies, one friendship, 
This is the unbreakable bond of Israel and the United States of America. Two countries different in size, but similar in resolve. Our bond isn't just about our weapons, our planes, our tanks, our tech. It's about our commitment to a common cause, to common values, to a common destiny. We don't just share enemies, we share intelligence, we share expertise, we share the will to protect our cherished freedom. What's the secret to our strength? It's our friendship, our people, our spirit. When there's a problem, we solve it. A threat, we face it. A challenge, we rise to it. We took the terror group Hezbollah by surprise when we followed their plans to attack Israel by exposing this mile-long attack tunnel and five others. Thanks to American support, we developed groundbreaking technology and successfully built the first professional counter-tunnel system in the world. When we operate the world's most advanced fighter jet, we know, and so do all our enemies, that strength isn't only measured by soaring planes and fighting tech, but also by two allies with an unmatched bond. We train together with our American counterparts to tackle the ballistic missile threat. There's always a shared sense of pride to train together with an aerial defense system developed by our two countries, knowing that a shared threat brought about a shared solution that serves us all. Together, our deterrence is stronger, our forces more powerful, our people more free. Israel and the United States an enduring friendship, an unbreakable bond, an unbeatable alliance. In Northern California, uh, we've got a bit of an unusual situation. Now, this first portion of the radar cycle, fairly bland and typical, but then you see these bands of very distinct cloud cover moving into the region. That is not rain, that is not snow, believe it or not. Military aircraft flying through the region is dropping chaff. Small bits of aluminum, sometimes it's made of plastic or uh, even uh, metallicized, uh, metallicized paper products, but it's used as an anti-radar issue and obviously they're up there practicing now they won't confirm that but i was in the marine corps for many years and i'll tell you right now that's what it is uh 15 well folks uh you know you don't have to stand every time i hear hail to the chief wonder where the hell is he <laughs> took me a long while <laughs> you think i'm joking i'm not turn around and where where's where's the president It's a bit embarrassing when you join us from England, Vonday Radio. Uh, when we do our standard intro, I have to I have to confess to you, it's it's a bit embarrassing. 
Well, when I saw the dancing cat, I knew that I clicked on the right link that you forwarded me. Um, <laughs> and I, I was staying early. I had to have that confirmed from uh, from your message um, that it was the same link that Ryan sent me and that it was uh, he was back in control of his, his Twitter account. Um, but it's great to be here. Uh, we're in the middle of a heat wave, um, but uh, I'm I'm well armed, and um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a great time to be alive. It is a great time to be alive. Let's let's get right into it. So much is happening around the world, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I want to weigh in on what's happening from what we can see in the U.S. news media. There are some English uh, Anglo-specific stories that Peter can help us to unpack, but. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that the world seems to be on fire, and it started with the Dutch. Here's an interesting video. Uh, get your take on it. Dutch and German far- farmers meet on the border, exchange gifts and handshakes. What is the significance of this? Now, we covered this story last week, and we brought you a whole bunch of Dutch videos, so I won't, uh, I won't show you everything that's happening in the Netherlands. But Sri Lanka has virtually collapsed. Uh, the government has fallen. They've gone into absolute anarchy. This is the presidential palace that is being stormed. I think in this video you're going to see people swimming in the president's pool. Insurrection. And uh, just to make the point clear, it's happening in the Western Hemisphere as well. This is Argentina. Italy from north to south in Milan. And here's Rome. I can find one more video and I'll and then we'll kick it off with a going around the, the room here I can't seem to find it I will it's a French video um, and we'll get to it question for the three do we think what we're seeing is verifiable trustworthy actually happening in terms of is it an authentic popular uprising around the world that we're seeing or is this just the time of year in uh, the time in history where people take to the streets in reaction to the various stressors that governments around the world have given them, including uh, man-made inflation amongst 
um, Ryan. It's um, whether or not the, the, the what we are seeing is authentic and not provoked by the, the powers that shouldn't be or whatnot. I, I don't want to conspiracy monger too much without the information, but um, so I don't know about that. But what I can tell you is that these types of protests that we've seen, such as in the Netherlands, when they when they put in that they, they have to reduce their emissions of nitrous oxide and ammonia down to levels that are so ridiculous, they can't farm if they do that. And then you have the World Economic Forum coming and say, oh, well, we we'll, we'll buy the farms of the Dutch farmers, yes. Well, that, what's happening is more than the usual strikes. Strikes, they come in, you protest, you make a lot of noise, shut down the infrastructure for a day or two. Uh, somebody says, all right, uh, we'll give you you know an extra five euro cents raise. Oh, okay, and then back to work. This is dramatic. This is the, the shutting, the complete shutting down of services with all the farm equipment, with um, in, in incurring violence from the police. I don't know if anyone saw the video of uh, police officers just randomly shooting tractors that were driving around uh, a roundabout. Um, and and w- one of the bullets would have killed the driver if it had gotten through the, the cab. So the, this is very serious. And I mean, in Italy, I've seen I saw some crazy protests in Italy Um I don't know that I, uh, anything quite as dramatic as that video there. I think it's more than the usual. It's the COVID riots the, combined with the World Economic Forum takeover of mm. all food production that's now going on in, into, into place with all, all the fallout from people are waking up to what the Rockefeller, you know, reset the table initiative means what all the World Economic Forum talking on these subjects as they're actually being rolled out in real time. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Italians like to get to the streets, Brother Martin. You live there, too. They they love nothing more than a good protest. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is, to, to Ryan's point, we're seeing it in places in, around the world that we don't normally see it. Uh, in fact, where's my China video? It's happening in China, too, of all places. <laughs> In China, you have inflation. In China, you have banks that are unbanking people who are, you know, uh, not behaving according to how their apps are telling them to behave. So maybe there, maybe this is really happening. And and we Americans are the last uh, to get on the page on on the on the playing field. It's true. I, I, when I was in Italy, I used to live uh, within walking distance to Stadio Olimpico, which is the the soccer stadium there in Rome that Lazio and AS Roma play in, and the uh, the video from from Italy seemed like a typical soccer game kind of stuff with the horns beeping and the colorful smoke. That's, that's what they do at soccer games. So it's, it seemed like something that Italians also kind of do. Sometimes I'd be walking to school and see the same stuff. Um, and so it, it is kind of, uh, I mean, we, as Americans, we have to step back because it is something that I, I especially Italians, they just, for every little thing, they, they do a show puddle, they do a strike, they do this, they do that uh, to protest. But the fact that we're seeing it absolutely everywhere does give us pause, um, especially in China, because We've seen a lot of uh, protests in Hong Kong, for instance, uh, pro-democracy um, protests that have usually ended up with um, the leaders of their movement getting arrested. They know exactly who they are before they uh, all these protests even start. I mean, Cardinal Zen right now is is, is sitting in jail because uh, he was uh, leading a protest or he was thought to uh, to be leading uh, a movement there. And so the fact that we're seeing it in China, I mean, it, that kind of is, is is quite alarming. But also, we have to remember that a lot of things on social media. I mean, we see a video and later on we, we find out that it was actually from two, three, four, five years ago. You know, it's just something that's making the rounds once again. And so 
unfortunately there is some we, we still need to verify the things that we do find the videos that we do find on social media uh, so that we're not deceived because again i mean for for the for the feds to infiltrate social media and to represent these videos to make us think that things are happening when they're actually not is also something that uh they're they're very good at doing yeah um, fair point misinformation disinformation is everywhere Peter from Vendée Radio. Uh, I did find the French video. This is Marie Le Pen's uh, populist uh, movement on the right cheering at the same time with the liberals, uh, liberal populists on the left, and everyone in the center uh, is is stupefied by it. Tell us, are we witnessing a, a true populist revolution in continental Europe and uh, and also whether or not in England it is uh, taking root as well? Um, the short answer is no. I don't think that um, the outbreaks of popular dissatisfaction with this systemic collapse that we're starting to see that we're on the cusp of or perhaps we're further along than that, that uh, things are really starting to disintegrate. Uh, I don't think that the that um, a groundswell of opposition to that has materialised in a, a wide enough way um, to to talk about a, a populist uprising. And I'd be very uh, cautious in um, in believing uh, alternative media outlets, particularly well funded. Uh, well-established um, alternative media outlets that that like to flaunt their credentials um, mm. as as being insurgent and populist um, when they say that that we are seeing some kind of great awakening. Um, I think that would be a, a mischaracterization. I like what Brother Martin, what Ryan has already said uh, about uh, exercising prudence in in you know how as Catholics we see the spiritual panorama unfold. Um, just to sort of take a step back from that and prescind, uh, you know, the ultimate, um, you know, war between the two cities that characterizes salvation history. Um, I think what you're seeing here is the, um, the, the systemic uh, collapse as a result of the, the debt crisis, uh, this mountain of debt that is built up um, from the, the frivolous uh, welfare state policies across the Western world, combined with, the encroaching uh, demographic winter as that baby boomer uh, bulge in the demographic period uh, pyramid enters into uh, retirement age and starts drawing on what you would call social security, you know, pension plans and so on. Um, a lot of that, those pension funds have obviously been used uh, by uh, hedge funds and asset managers and kind of casino um, enterprises um, and and have been hollowed out and emptied. Uh, so we're on the we're on the precipice of something like uh, what preceded or what led to precipitated the French Revolution, a sovereign debt crisis. Except it's global this time, uh, yes. or at least it's it's very much across the Western world. So the 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 power structure, the elite, are getting ahead of that at the moment, and um, I think that's what's behind all the draconian measures, the increasing. The, the fact that the, the 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 velvet glove has come off the iron fist, where they're baring their teeth, um, and they are um, trying to institute the kind of means they will need to reset the system, 
to to fundamentally switch from you know uh, sovereign currencies to a, a, a digital uh, central bank digital currencies and, and all the other means of controlling resources. Um, it, with such a, a large and ambitious uh, global agenda, of course, they're going to be thinking about the resistance that's going to arise in response to that. And they're going to get ahead of it and they're going to try and lead it. And we've seen that time and time throughout history, how the revolution behaves in its war against uh, the the Holy Catholic Church and against Christian civilization, that uh, the... The, the revolutionaries try and lead the resistance and misdirect it uh, in materialist ways. Um, and, and that's what um, gives me uh, pause for thought and um, mm. trepidation about this great awakening, this attempt by figures like Archbishop Vigano, um, Steve Bannon, um, you know, various uh, figures on the mainstream right or, or the alternative right, uh, this, this, this attempt to kind of synthesize all these, these uprisings. Um, but uh, what you do see, for example, in Sri Lanka, which I read a little bit about, uh, the direct effects of the catastrophic shutdown of the global economy in response to uh, a fake pandemic. Um, and uh, Sri Lanka relies massively on tourism uh, for its GDP. That was shut down. They uh, are also a big um, agricultural exporter. The the uh, ecological um uh, reduction in in fertilizers has uh, has has played havoc in their uh, uh, agricultural sector as well. So you're going to start to see this kind of crack up, um, and it's it's sort of a, a race, I suppose, for them to implement these sort of uh, the draconian means they need to control the entire system as things get reset. Yes, uh, we actually saw some of that break open. What you're describing, uh, especially with respect to distrust of supposedly uh, independent journalism. Uh, just a few days ago, a, a, a well-known commentator put a video out. Her name's uh, Laura Southern, and uh, she discussed uh, her dealings with Rebel News, working for Ezra Levant, working alongside Milo Yiannopoulos, and she really tore the mask off in a three-hour video that I happened to watch, and I don't normally watch a lot of YouTube videos but I was told to watch it. And the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of these people who claim to be right-wing journalists uh, just aren't. Now, I can't help also but contrast the behavior of most, let's say, conservative normie Americans and how this is how we protest in the United States. Okay, we, we, we shut down a couple hundred flights, Ryan. We inconvenienced some people. You know, your, your plane tickets are refunded to you, but you can still drive. We don't really shut down uh, critical, uh, you know, our, our, anything, right? There's no system that's, that's truly shut down. We don't shut off the water. We don't close the roads. We don't blow anything up. We don't bomb bridges. We just grab our picket signs and and we peacefully walk in these United States and we'll show them, stick it to the man. American conservatives typically have a, are a law and order type 
you know, bunch and they say, no, no, we don't want to do anything that causes the slightest inconvenience. We don't want to, we, we got to be nice about everything, which normally is the habit we should have uh, about a lot of things. But most people want to, I just want to be nice and comfortable. I don't want to get arrested for anything. I, I just want to be comfortable in that. Now, obviously we don't want to get arrested, but you have to be willing to, if you believe in your cause, the left, by contrast, they are willing to disrupt the traffic they're willing to sit there in the road and block all traffic including emergency vehicles by the way which mm -hmm. i don't advocate doing um but yeah they won't let them through and people have died in plenty of these little protests that they, they pull up the left will get out there and they will be violent they will be loud they will do as far as much as they can do um without the entire thing being shut down the right well you know, we got to come out with a few signs. We'll go pick up at Walmart and then make some noise and go back. And oh, look, we did a protest. Hooray. Um, it is rather tame. It is rather lackluster because at the end of the day, their heart isn't in it. Most conservatives are part of the very same revolution that we're decrying. They're just on the slower moving end of it. As I've said before, Republicans are just Democrats in slow motion as far as uh, American politics go. So when, when we get to Europe and you see what's going on in Europe and then you look here, the difference is, you know, we, one, most people still have reasonably comfortable lives on the right for the moment. Uh, they, they haven't really been pinched that hard yet. And they're not really into the movement and to fight a lot of these things. Whereas you look at the left, they eat, sleep, drink, and breathe communism from, from morning to night. They are ready to go out and do these things on the right. And, you know, I just want to be good American, go back home at night for dinner. And, you know, they're not in it for these types of things because, well, well we don't want to fight too hard. They're not true counter-revolutionaries. They're just going yeah. along with the revolution. That's right. My view. That's right. Uh, and counter-revolutionaries, um, uh, also sometimes called reactionaries, uh, that's almost a pejorative term in these United States, Brother Martin, especially even amongst the traditional movement. They, they refer to people, people like Dude Bro and a skateboard, they refer to reactionaries in a pejorative sense. Um, and so the, the idea of returning to, to a time of order, to a period of order, to a system of order, is repugnant to most conservatives, even traditionalists. Yeah, and to add on to what Ryan was saying too, and it, it doesn't take a whole lot of them, a whole lot of leftists, a whole lot of revolutionaries to to defeat the status quo, so to speak. I think in the in the American Revolution, I mean, the majority of the colonies were, were loyalists, but you had like fifteen percent that were uh, revolutionaries, and ultimately they they won out. It's the it's the dedication, the the intensity of the dedication of the few uh, that could ultimately overthrow the majority, uh, which should also startle us because Ryan's right, the 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 right a lot of we just want our comfortable lives. You don't want to be inconvenienced. And so even protesting, even defending our own freedoms insofar as inconvenient, we don't do it. Why? Because ultimately we just want the convenience. Uh, and so that's, that's what makes uh, yeah a lot, the, the single millennials and single uh, zoomers um, that have nothing to, to be responsible for gives them all the time to go out and protest and to cause havoc and, and just, just kick and scream and cry and, and, and get, ultimately get what they want because um they, they they go out and they take it and so yeah it's it yeah kind of revolutionaries too it's, it's because um we want order we want discipline and to to come out of ourselves to be revolutionaries to to be inconvenienced it's almost like what well, exactly is 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 what the hobbit said to Bil to bilbo and the the, the baggins is you know they uh, they yell at them because they're they're causing disorder they're going on an adventure and that's always bad it's always bad 
Uh, but sometimes you have to go on that adventure. You have to you have to cause a little bit of trouble to precisely to to save even even the Shire from uh, the dangers that they're completely and totally unaware of. Uh, speaking of getting into a bit of trouble, we have some breaking news to announce here on the rundown. It appears as though the Institute of Christ the King is being evicted from the Archdiocese of Chicago. Uh, multiple reports are now out on social media from parishioners there who claim to have heard from multiple priests have not received final confirmation yet from anyone who represents the Institute of Christ the King. But let's take some initial reactions to that. I'll start with you, Peter, uh, since you were next in line anyway. Cardinal Supich, obviously, uh, Frank's mouthpiece in these United States uh, sets the pace uh, for uh, what happens here, uh, according to all the Franksters loyalists. Uh, I don't know what else to call him, so apologies if people are offended by that. Even I don't know, deal with it. But um, in terms of uh, in terms of this action, uh, what happens in Chicago tends to spread in these United States. I'm sure you have bellwether places in England and throughout Europe as well, uh, where that is true, where the key red hat of the region sets the pace, and others are expected to follow his example. Peter. Yes, it's interesting. Just before we went live, um, a friend of mine forwarded me a post on Father Z's blog saying that uh, we should all get down on our knees uh, and pray for um, some priests who are about to be persecuted. He, and that's how he left it. So I think this is uh, the the news that he was um, he was asking for prayers for um, now um, now public. Um, I find Cardinal Supic um, is uh, the, as you say, the leading sort of Team Francis um, neo-modernist in the American church, um, whose actions are to embolden um, those other prelates uh, within um, the U.S. Episcopacy uh, to carry out this uh, much more aggressive um, neo-modernist agenda. Um, so, you know, eyes will be on um, that. What's the name of the chap in Kentucky um, and uh, some of the other much more sort of aggressive modernists, um, Cardinal Tobin. Um, in England, we uh, have quite a, um, a quiescent episcopate. Um, they are not uh, traditional friendly in the most part. But they are looking for a quiet life. And we are benefiting from the fact that the English primate, um, the Cardinal Archbishop of Westminster, um, Vincent Nichols, has a personal antipathy with um, Cardinal Arthur Roach. Uh, so he has been loath to uh, fully implement um, uh, traditionis custodies in this country, um, of which we've all benefited. There's only one diocese. Uh, in England that has had the uh, old rights suppressed. So um, for now, we, we rely on those, uh, those squabbles um, among the, the ranks of the neo-modernists. Um, but to see um, Supic take this step, uh, it fits with the general trajectory of events in our time, which is um, uh, uh, an increasing velocity in the, the spiritual and temporal crisis. Um, and things are getting dramatic. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, expect to see more divisions, but also we have to 
in a sense, we have to be grateful to God that these um, uh, that this evil is being brought to light uh, and that people can no longer uh, be apathetic. Uh, they can over, no longer plead ignorance. They have to take a side. Um, and that's what our Lord, uh, you know, what the what the gospel does. Um, yes. So, well, that's so a good point. It is. It's Christ or nothing. And there's almost no middle ground left. Ryan. This situation in Chicago, if it's true, uh, which I think it is, but uh, we'll, we'll confirm it as the show goes on, if we can get an official statement or if any of my contacts at the Institute will confirm it uh, while we're talking. If it's true, it could get messy because my understanding is that the Institute of Christ the King in many of their locations, and including Chicago, own the real property, they own the real estate. So you could be deprived of ecclesiastical privileges uh, or, or ju- jurisdictional powers to operate there. You could be in, in a way the church could evict you, but they can't actually seize the church or tell you where, where you can't live. They can't tell you you can't live there right. in the property which you own. Uh, so this could be a bellwether situation. It would be interesting to see how the Institute reacts and because there's certainly if they decide to say, well, um, we're going to continue doing a certain amount of ministry here uh, or at least continue saying masses in the house. I mean, Supage really can't do that for that because it really can't stop them from doing that because they do have a canonical house. And the only way to strip someone of a canonical house is to have a heresy trial. So if he's willing to do that, um, I guess trads are the only ones that you'll go after for heresy these days. Uh, <laughs> if, if you can, <laughs> that, that is the only acceptable heresy you can go after. So, or call it, I mean, it's not really heresy, obviously, but we don't think so. But call somebody you're going to call a heresy and go after. So I don't know if the Institute wants that kind of fight. Maybe they do. I don't know them as well as you do. So, uh, but certainly nothing can happen to them as far as that property goes. And again, if they decide they want to stay there, I mean, can Cardinal Supich tell them to that you have to leave right now? Um, I don't think the most he can do yeah, canonically yeah. decide he want to stay there. I mean, as far as I understand, is to uh, eliminate them from you know from ecclesiastical ministry in the diocese. All right, no, no public masses, right. no you know no confessions. You know, your faculties are, are revoked in this diocese. Um, you know, you know, so on and so forth. That's all he can do. He's kind of limited as far as that. You can't literally say you have, you may not stay in the house you own, because if you could do that to the to a religious order, you could do that to laity too. You know, so it just it doesn't work. Right, right. Now there's a lot to unpack here, Brother Martin. I think you're as uh, up to date on on the finer points of canon law with respect to you know this particular situation as anybody. Uh, but a couple thoughts that are going through my mind, you know, St. John Cantius is there as well in Chicago. St. John Cantius, uh, as a parish, has abided by Supich's um, decrees um, and his prohibition against the Latin Mass on all Sundays except once a month or, or whatever it is. Um, the Institute of Christ the King, according to my understanding, their headquarters being Chicago, this is their U.S. headquarters, uh, did not abide by that. And likely when we see uh, anything in writing from the Archdiocese of Chicago or a response from the Institute, which uh, they, they actually don't tend to give written responses to these things, unlike the fraternity. Uh, so probably whatever information we're going to get is going to be from the Archdiocese. But when we see it, my guess is, is going to be that Supich is going to say, I warned them, I told them, I sent them a bunch of nasty letters 
you know, and they continued on holding their blasted Latin mass. And for that unforgivable sin, they're gone. Um, how do you see this situation playing out? It could either be nasty or it could actually be really nice in the sense that, like, Supich could simply say, having read and had time to reflect on Traditionis Custodis and having um, been able to discern the trajectory, the agenda of our Holy uh, of our Holy Father, Pope Francis, um, and that he wants to have parishes that reintroduce the tradition, uh, the, the Noah's Ordo back to these traditional families and stuff. And given that the Institute of Christ the King is unable to uh, accommodate that with their constitutions, um, I really want to implement Traditionis Custodis in my diocese. And so I don't find that uh, the Institute of Christ the King is, is that helpful. I mean, he'll probably choose nicer words than that. But more or less say, saying that same thing is basically saying that their charism isn't congruent anymore with um, what our Holy Father is deciding to do. And so you can simply say that their, their need, their purpose in the diocese, they, they no longer serve a, a legitimate purpose in this diocese. And so he, he removes their faculties, right? Ryan is right in, in saying that that's probably what's going to happen is the removal of faculties. So they can't uh, publicly advertise their masses and they can't uh, uh, hear confessions. And so what's, what is the Institute of Christ? How is the Institute of Christ the King as, as a as a community going to respond? What the senior Bach is going to do? I mean, if you have just priests sitting there doing nothing, I mean, it's kind of useless. And so even though they can't strip the property away from you, uh, what they can probably do is create it to be some sort of novitiate where it's an, an, an in-house kind of thing where they send all their um, possible seminarians there to, to just uh, I mean, live, live as a community. They can do that. Um, but in reality, they might use uh, just close up shop. I mean, that's also another possibility of that. If 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 any anybody in your community is going to not have faculties from the from the diocese, then it's kind of just it's a it's a waste of money and, and a waste of time to uh, to simply be there. And so that's it. Tupich is probably going to set an example to the to the rest of the uh, um, dioceses, whether it be Institute of Christ the King or fraternity. If if it's going to be an example, then we can't just limit it to the Institute of Christ the King. It also for the fraternity. However, a lot of bishops in the United States, um, especially now, I mean, the Institute is growing. They're inviting them in. I think they just opened a new apostolate down in Lake Charles, uh, Louisiana. And so uh, it, it's kind of going to be, uh, I mean, bishops are very slow to move, to, to stir the pot, to change things that will cause a lot of their, their faithful to to get upset with them. Um, that's kind of the modus operandi of, of uh, the United States bishop is just don't throw a rock in the pond. Don't create any ripples. Just keep everything nice and clean and steady. And so changes like this are going to be very, the bishops are going to be very slow to pick up on something like this, I think, as, as a lot of them were to, to pick up on Tradiciones Custodes and, and uh, suppressing the traditional Latin mass where, where they are. I know even the, the, the Archbishop of uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, even erected a public association of the faithful new parish, so to speak, um, in his eyes, he's right after Tradiciones Custodes. So um, whether or not the rest of the, pitch, the bishops are going to pick up on it, I, I, don't, I don't know. But uh, if they don't, then it's just going to create more and more measures for these traditional Latin mass communities that Pope Francis is going to issue to maybe close their seminaries like, they, like uh, he did with the Franciscans of the Immaculate uh, or something of that sort. So enough pressure can be put on, on the Institute of Christ the King in Chicago to get them to leave or to do something else to, to cease the, the work of that apostolate there. Um, so that, that is a legitimate danger. Um, but what it means for the overall community. And if you revoke the Institute's faculties, you'll have a situation where the society in uh, the Society of Pius X, I'm not sure if they're in Chicago, but wherever they are in that area, they will have faculties for confession and the Institute will not. (laughs) And just to drive the point home, uh, as Jimmy Martin posted this video onto Twitter, 
in reverence of all the various African rites that he uh, just loves to relish in. Uh, all of this that you're about to see, perfectly fine, perfectly okay, that blasted Latin mass in Chicago, it has to be suppressed. Just beautiful. What a stunning patrimony. Uh, I wish I uh, were a part of it. Okay, let's move to the United States politics for a little bit. We'll get back into church stuff towards the end of the show. My question is, uh, first of all, is is Biden okay? <laughs> as we told where to sit, a new poll came out. Uh, the vast majority of Democrats don't want him to run for re-election. The vast majority of Americans will not vote for him. But there is one scenario in which the Democrats say they would vote for him as if he were running against Donald Trump. That's the only bit of good news in that poll, and it's the only thing he climbs onto here. Mr. President, what's your message to Democrats who don't want you to run again? They want me to run. Two-thirds say they Read don't. Read the poll. Read the poll, Jack. You guys are all the same. That poll showed that 92% of Democrats, if I ran, would vote for me. A majority of Democrats say they don't want you to run again in no, 2024. 92% said if I did, they'd vote for me. Yeah, if you were running against Donald J. Trump, 92% of Democrats said if he were the nominee and I had to hold my nose, I would vote for him. But two-thirds don't want him to run. Uh, it looks like, uh, breaking news as of today, Ryan, it looks like Donald Trump has said he is already made up his mind. He is running. The only question is when he's going to announce it. That came out in a couple uh, media places, according to an interview with him. What do you think about that? Personally, I think it's a big mistake. Um, I mean, he's still got the energy to run, but you look at, you know, one, I can't believe that, that it's particularly authentic that he's going to really run and get an office unless again, it's another show. Uh, much like Biden running. I mean, all the policies that are being put through are the same globalist policies. And Trump put through quite a bit of the globalist policy when he was president. People forget that. And yeah, he, he did do some good things, like put the judges on that that overturned Roe versus Wade. And we've acknowledged a few several weeks ago. But at the same time, you know, his running again, it, it, it'll polarize the left that otherwise is scattered and rather depressed by the fact that uh, the commander in chief um, or the puppet in chief or whatever doesn't know who he is half the time and can't utter a coherent sentence most of the time. Yet, you know, if you if you ran a stronger Republican, not, not that I really believe much in the system, uh, I think it'd be a slam dunk for, for Republicans. But when it's Trump, you're going to have a lot of people on the left that are going to be energized to get out. And maybe that's what they want. Then again, maybe that's 
exactly what the what the, the powers that shouldn't be want. So I, I you know, I, I don't know. I think it's silly, frankly, uh, that he's going to get back into it. And it's just it's going to be more distractions because then, you know, you're going to have. Um, oh, goodness. I mean, that's one of the reasons they're doing this, this farce of a um the day that starts after the fifth and ends before the sixth uh super scary capitol hill insurrection meeting to uh, in congress to say oh yeah we look donald trump he's the most evil person ever because he tried to run a coup to take over the country that he was already president of Uh, however all that's supposed to work i don't even know i lost track (laughs) of what the latest thing is so i mean DeSantis would be a stronger candidate, but DeSantis is not going to get into the ring if Trump's there because he knows it's going to be a really hard, hard fought thing. A lot of his base still supports Trump, which frankly is just fine for me, at least to see DeSantis stay in Florida. But um, okay, a lot to unpack there. Two two things I want to zero in on. First, DeSantis uh, does appear to be running. He is making the rounds. He's raising the money. Uh, here he is bashing California, which is a standard talking point that for a national campaign, not just being governor of yes, Florida. Uh, two Well, look, I was like this. Everyone wants to talk about me in Florida. I mean, like, I'm just sitting here little old me doing my job. I can just tell you this. Uh, I was born and raised in this state. And until the last few years, I rarely, if ever, saw a California license plate in the state of Florida. You now see a lot of them. I can tell you, if you go to California, you ain't seeing very many Florida license plates. Okay, that's pretty funny. But the second thing you said, though, I want to zero in on, Ryan, because this is absolutely shocking. It's jaw-dropping that this happened on live television. John Bolton was one of the advisors to President Trump. Was he national security advisor? I I don't remember. Uh, I do believe that it was that or... uh, Anyway, either that or he was involved in DOD. I forget which one. John Bolton was uh, at one point the ambassador to the United States to the United Nations, I think under... I was under uh, Baby Bush. Yeah, Baby Bush. He goes on TV, Jake Tapper, CNN, talking about Trump, whom he's turned on, and he says the following, Peter. He says, Trump's not smart enough to do a coup. I've done coups, okay, around the world. And this was not that. He actually admits to it. This is shocking. It's not heed the advice and keep shopping around until you end up with this group of misfits with the, like Michael Flynn and Sidney Powell. Um, is he just not capable of, of hearing no? Well, when it comes to his personal advantage, the answer is he doesn't listen to anybody else. But I think this, it's also important to understand, while nothing Donald Trump did after the election uh, in connection with uh, the lie about the election fraud. None of it is defensible. None of it is defensible. Uh, it's also a mistake, as some people have said, including on the committee, the commentators, that somehow this was a carefully planned coup d'etat aimed at the Constitution. That's not the way Donald Trump does things. It's rambling from one half vast idea to another, one plan that falls through and another comes up. 
That, that's what he was doing. As I say, none of it defensible. But you have to understand the nature of what the problem of Donald Trump is. He's, to use a Star Wars metaphor, a disturbance in the force. And it's not an attack on our democracy. It's Donald Trump looking out for Donald Trump. It's a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. I don't know that I agree with you, to be, to be uh, fair, with all due respect. Uh, one doesn't have to be brilliant to attempt a coup. Uh, I disagree with that. As somebody who has helped plan coup d'etat, yeah. not here, but, you know, other places, uh, it takes a lot of work. And that's not what... It takes a lot of work to plan a coup d'etat, uh, Peter, not here, of course, but in other places. How have we reached a point where they're so comfortable saying the quiet part out loud? Yes, it is remarkable. This is a change that we should notice. This is a sign of the times that that is significant. Why are there these leakages now coming out about the deep politics of January 6th, for example? Um, there was uh, a clip where Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was letting on that the security staff around the Capitol let the protesters in. Um, these these kind of hints, these these clues, um, it's uh, part of this um, trend of eroding trust in the institutions. And I'm not saying that we should trust the institutions at all. I think they're completely captured by the revolution. Um, but the the attitude of uh, just burn it down and, and uh, perhaps a revolutionary response uh, is perhaps not uh, the the Christian um, impulse either. Um, so, so what is going on? You know, why why are they um, revealing uh, a lot more of this? Um, I can only really speculate, but I, I think they they know that people are turning to uh, alternative news organs. That they are uh, they they know the the figures for CNN, you know, uh, viewing um, and. So um, I think perhaps they're letting out more. Um, and then uh, if we're to consider things on the level of spiritual warfare, something I discussed with previous guest on Vonday Radio, uh, Michael uh, Jonah of Nineveh, was that this flashing where they uh, reveal aspects of uh, the malevolence uh, within their agenda um, is almost uh, perhaps mocking us, uh, but also to um, ensure and to procure the co the consent of the populace while this evil is afoot um which which makes the uh the demonic um an occult activity that they are uh, initiating that much more powerful um and if we see this as a war for souls uh then then that would have uh, a greater effect <sighs> It, it, it is remarkable. I, I don't know how else to say it, that uh, they are open about their male maleficence, uh, Brother Martin, but but they're open about it in, in insane ways, too. Uh, speaking of being utterly disconnected from reality, this woman teaches law at the University of Berkeley. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks to all of the witnesses for being here. Uh, before, uh, I, I want to visit with you, Ms. Meske, but before I do, I just want to clear one thing up. Professor Bridges, you said several times, you've used a phrase, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. It, would that be women? 
Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's, uh, it's We can it's recognize that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, <laughs> um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important because of my us, line of questioning. Because so we can't talk about it. Because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist. I'm is denying that trans people exist by asking are you? you if you're talking are you? about women are you? having pregnancies. Do you believe that the, uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think. Can get <laughs> so you are pregnant. denying that trans people exist, Thank and that you. leads to violence. Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you, Absolutely. or are they also treated like this? Where no, you, no, no, they're, they're told that to they're a- opening up people to oh, violence. We have a good time in my class. You should join. Oh, I bet. You might learn a lot. Wow, I, I would learn a lot. I've learned a you, lot. Just I know. In this exchange. Absolutely. Extraordinary. Uh, Brother Martin, these people aren't living in reality, but this is the uh, this is the agenda that's taking over, and it's violence uh, if you well if you disagree with it. Absolutely, and that kind of confrontation also exists in just for people in earning their bachelor's degree. So, like eighteen, nineteen year olds who are completely not, not formed philosophically to be able to handle that kind of uh, rebuttal by by their teachers. I mean, if you send your kids to college, that's what they're going to be getting. Um, but I think it also, I mean, she was, she's a professor at the University of Berkeley over in California, um, but kind of tying this into the question of, of DeSantis running versus Trump. Um, I, I think also that I, I heard, I read somewhere that, that uh, Gavin Newsom is something is someone that uh, the Democrats are going to be putting forward to run um, in 2024 instead of Biden. Um, if that's true, then there's this incredible polarity um, between California and Florida, obviously, where you have DeSantis, who was not just the difference between, I think, that I see between um, Trump and and DeSantis was that Trump was always kind of listening to the people. He's like, I'll be what the people want. I'll, you know, I'll, this is what Americans want here. I'll, I'll just do in office what American people want. Whereas DeSantis, especially during the pandemic, he was out in front doing what he believed was right. He was a tr- he was a real leader. Um, whether or not people were behind him, people got behind him because they saw that he was he was doing what was best for the people and and keeping jo- and keeping uh, businesses open and not man- mandating. Uh, jabs for for to, to be employed and all that kind of stuff and so he was really being a true leader whereas trump was kind of uh, listening to what the people want he was feeling things out more or less um and doing the best he could but then this incredible polarity between florida and california that's developed within the last four years i think is yeah. is, is a really big difference because trump's going to be uh, campaigning on guys hey remember me remember how good i was guys remember me whereas asante's is coming in as, as someone who's who's fresh off the battlefield or is in the in the midst of the battle Saying this, mm-hmm. this is what I've been doing these past four years under these immediate circumstances, not the circumstances of, of, of four, eight years ago. But here's what I'm doing right now. Here's here's where I've gotten Florida, and here's where I could take the country. So I think uh, really DeSantis is, is a stronger candidate um, than, than Trump in that regard. And then also, of course, from a, from a Catholic perspective, perspective, we see Trump with the with the LGBT flag, and also the one who who uh, you know started Operation Warp Speed for the for the jab. Whereas DeSantis kind of put the brakes on it and said, you know what, I'm not going to mandate this on anybody. Uh, True. 
Although I have seen a picture of Ron DeSantis at the Wailing Wall wearing a yarmulke. Okay, Trump, <laughs> Trump, you're right, though, that Trump is trying to open up a new front. Uh, he needs to be in the thick of it. I think in this case, he might be shooting himself in the foot, though. He's going after, uh, well, a recently ordained conservative saint. Another one of our highest priorities under a Republican Congress will be to stop left-wing censorship and to restore free speech in America. And go out, by the way, while I'm here and sign up now for Truth Social. It's hot as a pistol. And you see that I call that one right. Leon, I tell you what. Elon, Elon is not going to buy Twitter. Where did you hear that before? From me. From a fake account. She says fake. A lot of them. Nah, he's got himself a mess. You know, he said the other day, oh, I've never voted for a Republican. I said, I didn't know that. He told me he voted for me. So he's another bullshit artist, but he's not going to be buying it. He's not going to be buying it. Although he might later, who the hell knows what's going to happen. He's got a pretty rotten contract. I looked at his contract. Not a good contract. Actually, I heard that from RTF Mike first. I didn't hear that from Trump. I heard that from RTF Mike. You all heard it from me. He was never never going to buy Twitter. Uh, I don't think that Donald Trump did review the the stock purchase agreement uh, between Elon Musk and the board of directors of Twitter, Ryan. I I have a strong feeling that he did not read that 250-plus page document, which is filed with the SEC. However... Um, I do have to question the whether or not this is Trump's way of tanking his own candidacy before he has to announce it by making enemies with those on the right, supposedly, or at least those who the right now revere. Or is Trump going to be successful in uh, leading a, a right wing populist revolution against their their latest darling? Uh, Elon Musk, who, by the way, they just found religion with Elon Musk. Uh, they weren't really big on him until he tried to buy Twitter. So uh, maybe he's just a flash of the pan. Who's going to win, Ryan? It's it's hard to say. Uh, now that Elon is not going to buy Twitter, I think the the, the magic and the the religious obsequience to, oh, Elon, up in heaven, please deliver me from Twitter censorship, which you saw all, all across uh, Twitter for the entire time when People foolishly thought he was really going to buy it. And and now you've got a kind of QAnon type of approach like, oh, this is actually Elon's plan to reveal all the bots and and reveal all the the, the way the deep state works. <laughs> um, you know, you see that type of thing when in reality, a year assessment is the only one that actually makes sense and is based in the way that world actually works. And Elon's not an idiot. I don't think he ever intended to buy it or whatever, or even reveal its secrets. I think he just intended, like you said, to bring down stock prices and make a boatload of money out of it. So the um, the moral of the story, I think, is that Trump is Trump. He's a New Yorker, A, which means you're a great BSer. <laughs> you like to get up and just talk, and everything's the greatest it was. I am always the smartest guy that was, uh, you know, I'm the guy who wrote Art of the Deal. You got to listen to me. Um, you know, it, he's always doing these types of things historically. And I, I just, I, I can only see that as just more of this kind of bloviating the way that he does, that I'm the best and I'm the smartest. And look at it in a way, getting, I don't think he read it either. You know, and so whether that's purposely getting the establishment all riled up, um, I don't know. I mean, he's already going to be 
I think him and DeSantis on stage tearing each other apart it would be bad for the conservative side, frankly. I think it's going to just make mm-hmm. things worse. So um, maybe it's a farce. I think he really plans to run, and I think he's going to run because of his ego. And he's like, I want to get back in there again um, to do what? To, well, continue to do what uh, ultimately what every president is told. Because every president, I'm sure, you know, gets that angle of the JFK assassination that nobody's ever seen before. And, mm-hmm. you know, any questions? Yep. Good point. Um, Speaking of Twitter, (laughs) Peter, Twitter has had an interesting week this week. Twitter has had to go out of their way to absolutely silence and shut down any and all leaks with respect to the president's son, Hunter Biden. This is Twitter. Twitter's trying to shut it all down. (laughs) Got to stop the leaks. Okay, uh, I'm going to show you a couple minutes of Tucker talking about the absurd relationship between the Biden family and the Chinese Communist government. After we hear Tucker's analysis, I want to hear your take from England. And also, I want you to also kind of weigh in on the fact that Bojo has resigned. Who is next in line in England? And uh, what are the dynamics there and and who and which frankly which country is the bigger uh, sideshow in in this regard here's tucker but for the rest of us that's not the real story the real story is that the biden family was getting rich from business with our enemies they were selling access to the us government to china and that is a crime it's certainly a moral crime as recently as 2020 joe biden denied that he or his family had made any money from china watch this Vice President Biden, there have been questions about the work your son has done in China and for a Ukrainian energy company when you were vice president. In retrospect, was anything about those relationships inappropriate or unethical? Nothing was unethical. My son has not made money in terms of this thing about, uh, what are you talking about, China. I have not had it. The only guy made money from China is this guy. He's the only one. Nobody else has made money from China. So you spend so much time noting Joe Biden's creeping senility that you can overlook the fact that in his lucid moments, he's a liar, just flat out liar. That's a lie. In fact, it's a lie so obvious, even the Washington Post, which has carried water for Biden since the very beginning, had to correct it. According to the Washington Post, quote, over the course of 14 months, the Chinese energy conglomerate, that would be CEFC, and its executives paid $4.8 million to entities controlled by Hunter Biden and his uncle. That would be Jimmy Biden, the former nightclub owner. Are these guys experts on energy? What are they experts on? Nothing. Leveraging the U.S. government for personal profit. That's it. And it's not just CEFC that funded the Bidens. In all, Hunter Biden made more than $30 million from entities affiliated with China's communist government. Hunter Biden's biggest deal with China involved a Chinese investment fund called Bohai Harvest RST, or BHR. In December of 2013, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden flew to Beijing. It was a government trip on a government plane. And that's when Hunter introduced his father to a BHR executive. Again, that's a flat-out violation of law. You can't take Air Force Two to China to lobby on behalf of the Chinese government, your own father. Full-on crime. The Bidens denied it, but Hunter eventually took a 10% stake in that company, a stake worth about $20 million. Then a Chinese company called Harvest Global wired another $5 million to another company controlled by Hunter Biden, this one called Burnham Asset Management. He's got more companies than your average mafia, Don. According to the Washington Free Beacon, Hunter Biden, quote, 
reached out directly to the firm's chairman and said the investment, and we're quoting, would be important to the Biden family. Biden family, including his dad, the vice president of the United States. So what's in it for Harvest Global? Well, per the Free Beacon quote, Biden put together a financial proposal for Burnham to pitch to Harvest that promised, quote, Washington, D.C. access for investors. They're selling influence, selling influence with the U.S. government. Again, not to Belgium, not to Swaziland, to China. Your take. If I could just comment quickly on the previous story about the Institute of Christ, the King's Sovereign Priest in the Diocese of the Archdiocese of Chicago. Um, Ryan made the point about this will be a telling moment for how the leadership of the Institute responds. Um, and I quite agree. I've seen a number of comments saying the Institute is controlled opposition. I don't think that's true. I know a lot of good Institute priests, a lot of good FSSP priests. But if we talk about the leadership of these Ecclesia Day um, uh, congregations, then um, I think there is a, a compromise that they have to, uh, or they feel they have to, um, sort of uh, agree to with the uh, post-conciliar uh, Vatican II system. Um, and we saw that with the FSSP response to traditionist custodies, which had this r rather awful, demoralising, obsequiousness, quoting mm -hmm. for Titsia, mm -hmm. uh, saying, Holy Father, we're so nice. Um, we, we just want to coexist with the Novus Ordo. So I think the time is fast approaching where... These Ecclesia Day organizations, these communities will have to um, be explicit about whether tradition is something that's just nice to have or whether it is essential to uh, the Catholic religion. Um, and that's that's clearly the um, the uh, compromise, the deal that was struck um, when they uh, they made their series of you know canonical uh, regularities beginning with the FSSP um, in uh, the, the late 80s, uh, not to talk about the conciliar revolution, uh, yeah. not to talk about the fundamental attack on doctrinal integrity. Um, so, so in a sense, that's to be welcomed that pressure is now being put on them to to stand up um, in, a, in a more forthright manner on that. But I, I wouldn't have too much confidence in the leadership. Uh, the leadership in the SSPX, for example, have been uh, very much compromised um, and are very quiet on the revolutionary activities of Pope Francis and the contemporary Vatican, which are far worse than Pope John Paul II, who attracted, you know, significant criticism from Archbishop Lefebvre. And now the SSPX leadership falls silent, doesn't say anything about the gene therapy injections uh, yeah. on the temporal front, etc. So, you know, that's just to, uh, as a sort of uh, side remark on that. Um, so, so I have to ask you now your thoughts on the Tucker clip. That's about it for us tonight. Repeat the line. That's about it for us tonight. Sorry, Biden joke. <laughs> so uh, I think Tucker Carlson is um, quite a um, sophisticated operative. He's giving their um, uh, a form of limited hangout, um, fixate on this Hunter Biden laptop story. Um, I've not followed it too deeply myself. It, I think, uh, is designed to disturb one's uh, spiritual peace. Um, and again, metapolitically, to keep people invested in the paradigm of the nation state. 
that the problem is out there. The problem's China. The problem is the CCP. The problem is the the uh, the Democrats. The problem isn't within the American people and the British people for rejecting the living God. Uh, but we just have to, uh, you know, focus on getting the um, the very obscene contents of Biden, uh, uh, Hunter Biden's uh, laptops aired, uh, you know, across the, the television networks. Um, so, uh, yes, uh, they, you know, he's not to be trusted. Um, he has engaged in significant neurolinguistic programming in order to create that trust so that people invest in him as a, a public figure they trust so that later on down the line he can push the injections on you for example i've just i'm just about to release a video um talking about jordan peterson's heinous video with dave rubin on um homosexual parenting yeah and then that was followed by a twitter spat where um peterson claim to have been uh, removed from Twitter. So so what is going on here? You know, this is what Jonah of Nineveh called adversity marketing, where to be removed from these mainstream, uh, you know, social media platforms is a uh, a badge of honor uh, for these 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 figures. And they know that carries a certain cachet with conservative minded people and will keep people invested in them so that they can sell you uh, sodomy uh, in, in their right. other uh, broadcasts. Um, it, it actually kind of reminds me of what Lauren Southern was talking about with respect to her dealings with so-called uh, conservative influencers. Anytime any of them would get into hot water, they would claim that they were either being infiltrated by leftist uh, Antifa members, which is a claim Milo Yiannopoulos apparently made, uh, or that they would pretend to be kicked out of a country. Again, Milo uh, canceled his Australian tour, which coincided with Laura Southern's tour, he didn't want to be outshined by her, so he claimed that Australia wasn't going to let him in. Uh, this is according to her video and her recollection of the events. Uh, the same holds true for some other um, British uh, right-wing uh, activists that she was working with who, who would, who would uh, claim to be infiltrated by uh, left-wing uh, folks who are trying to uh, destroy them from within and that is adversity marketing is a badge of honor like you said it it creates empathy and sympathy it it can it sustains a link that you because you want to believe that the person that you've been taking information from is trustworthy you want to justify all the time and investment that you have spent with that person no one wants to hear that they've wasted a bunch of their time and miss and place uh their trust in in an untrustworthy person sorry go ahead continue Yes, I, I quite agree. Um, it's quite frightening to consider that this um, this this magnitude, this hideous strength, is arrayed against you. And um, a response to that, um, particularly if you have invested your whole life in um, you know being an upstanding citizen and uh, you know having a career, perhaps within you know, uh, a mainstream institution and so on, uh, is to is to um, retain this this trust uh, within the, the power structure, or at least that it's recoverable, it's recuperable. I, I don't think it is, uh, not without um, a uh, without without penance, uh, without repentance. Um, that's how deep the spiritual crisis is. Um, now, with regard to Boris Johnson, 
I think what's going on here is that uh, there has been a coup. Uh, this has been suggested by a number of uh, figures quite openly uh, that he's been ousted by um, a, a Deutsche Bank um, former employee, Sajid Javid, and a former Goldman Sachs uh, employee, uh, Rishi Sunak, and uh, a former chairman of Le Cercle, uh, Nadim Zahawi, uh, so a Pakistani, an Indian, and an Iraqi, um, uh, that, that have coordinated this move against him at this time. Why have they done that? I think because the uh, power structure knows that the next prime minister in place will be the prime minister during the winter crisis, when the, uh, the currency could well collapse, uh, or there'll be food and energy shortages, uh, or, or the, um, you know, there, there'll be civil unrest, or all these things will converge. So they need a more pliant, uh, more um, uh, willing uh, figurehead. And Boris was a problem, because uh, he didn't have the uh, political integrity to be able to carry out another lockdown, seeing as he had so flagrantly uh, violated the first one. So that was uh, an issue for them in terms of the optics. And uh, the word is that he did resist um, a lockdown in December last year in response to Omicron, uh, which uh, must have antagonized uh, quite a few people. Um, so, yeah, this is a coordinated um, sort of WEF um, coup against Johnson. Um, the discourse around the next leader has been completely bizarre. Um, there's been uh, this uh, attempt by the uh, the corporate press to um, promote and sell Rishi Sunak as the uh, the most technocratic, friendly uh, chancellor, um, former chancellor and uh, prime ministerial candidate. And as the control opposition to him, the the very soft Brexiteer Penny Mordaunt, who um, has for example, uh, when a maternity bill was before Parliament, was instrumental behind the scenes, removing the reference to women and mothers from that bill um, and is saying that uh, trans men are, are, are women. Um, and now she's put out this sort of Twitter um, uh, message about how no, she stands for, for women's rights. Um, so it's all just this kind of game. And the gaslighting is uh, so obvious and uh, it's clearer and clearer that, that electoral politics is most akin to something like WWF wrestling. Uh, that's how I would characterize it, sort of semi-scripted reality, where they kind of they have these positions uh, and they have these little squabbles and these distractions. Um, but there's one track to the New World Order. Uh, you can choose the slow lane or the fast lane, but they're both heading in the same direction. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, They give you your heroes, they give you your villains. Yes. You're expected to clap. Yeah, and I think I think there's still some reality to that. Like you know, the the egos of those particular actors on stage um, are invested, and and they they want to um, you know be the, uh, the the person on television and, and whatever. Um, but uh, clearly, you know, Boris uh, uh, wasn't going fast enough, um, and they know that we're on the precipice of of real uh, systemic disruptions um, mm. and unrest, maybe full-on collapse, uh, the breaking of the currency. Um, so, so yeah, now they're just uh, coming out into the open. And um, if people want to read more on this, I would suggest an article by Majid uh, Nawaz, um, who I wouldn't trust fully uh, at all. Um, but this article is nevertheless quite insightful. It's called It's About Globalism, Stupid, 
Uh, it's on his uh, his Substack. Uh, but it breaks down how this isn't about Brexit. This isn't about COVID. This isn't about the war in the Ukraine. This is about the Great Reset. And this is about furthering the agenda. These are just episodes, uh, kind of crisis episodes to help precipitate uh, that controlled demolition that leads to, um, you know, much more um, open tyranny that they're they're looking to uh, achieve. I'm gonna send him to outer space to find another race. On the back end of the break, we are going to continue talking about the COVID tyranny and whether or not it's coming to a country near you. Uh, we'll continue in U.S. politics, and of course, we have lots of groomers to talk about. In addition to jabbing the people, we now need to jab our livestock. Thankfully, the software engineer is telling us to do that. I guess we need to get on board. Well, the Gates Foundation has partnered with Diffit on a great number of things, and uh, among those are our work we do together on livestock, uh, helping animals survive uh, either by having vaccines or better genetics, uh, helping them be more productive. It's making a big difference. Uh, you know, I was down in Ethiopia seeing how chickens are out there uh, laying more eggs, getting more nutrition, uh, and even some small savings into the household. So uh, Edinburgh happens to be where a lot of the world's best work on this is done, and that's why uh, Diffid and the Gates Foundation are, are funding scientists here. <sighs> Gates loves to uh, meddle in Africa for various reasons. He has a long history there, but even U.S. actor Terrence Howard is down in Africa meddling in their scientific community. You know, I was born Terrence Deshaun Howard. I've become an actor. You know, I've been nominated for Oscars and Golden Globes and, and SAG Awards. But those weren't the things that really moved me. As a child, I studied chemical engineering at Pratt Institute. Was there for two years until I saw that there was an inconsistency with the math there. And so I went out to explore a new way of understanding how the universe works, and I was able to define the grand unified field equation they've been looking for and put it into geometry. And then with that geometry, I was able to put props on that. And what I'm saying is now we have invented a new form of flight that I would like to bring here to Uganda to replace the drones, to replace the helicopters, to replace the planes. We've already, we have all the funding necessary. What we need is just a fertile ground in which to build this. Now, this is the geometry of hydrogen. Of? Of hydrogen. Hydrogen. This is the proton itself. Mm. So any bond that hydrogen can make, our linchpins are able to make. So we're talking about unlimited bonding, unlimited predictable structures, supersymmetry. And the linchpins are now able to behave as a swarm, as a colony, 
that can defend the nation, that can harvest food, that can remove plastics from the ocean, that can give the children of Uganda and the people of Uganda an opportunity to spread this and to sell these products throughout the world so we are no longer just selling agricultural products. Why do you have to go to Uganda to do things like this, Ryan? Uh, you know, I I can't... Basically, it, it comes down to when the elites want to test something, they always have to do it in Africa, right? They, they always have to take these populations, which have largely been historically disenfranchised from their own wealth and resources. Uh, sometimes, you know, you, you have a mixed reputation of the British Empire in Africa, uh, a lot better than the French Empire came out, in my opinion. And you know, which brought some goods and brought some bads. But when the British left in the power vacuum in many of these places, um, you know, you ended up with petty dictators that were perfectly willing to do exactly what, you know, Western, mostly American financial bankers come and tell them what to do. Oh, set up a power plant, um, which will completely destroy the natural territory that your people live on. Uh, and it will benefit only 1% of your country. But then the IMF will give you foreign aid and you'll stay in power. And Oh, if you will make your people the guinea pig for this latest pharmaceutical, for this latest uh, thing in agriculture, hey, you know, we'll give you extra money and extra kickbacks, more IMF loans, and uh, keep you in power. So, and then when the bad things happen, as far as the media is concerned, really, uh, oh, it's just a bunch of Africans, not people made in God's image and likeness. No, we don't care about that. That's what the elite essentially does. And then. <laughs> Most Americans are not interested enough in what actually is happening in Africa to go seek out and find that, you know, that news. So it, it, and so on and so forth. So that's why they almost always pick, uh, you know, some country in Africa to try out these things before it comes over here. The same holds true. Mr. Peter with Von Day Radio joining us, special guest from England. Uh when Gates wants to test his experimental serums, either on human beings or on cattle, he does so in Africa. Yes, Ryan's quite right. We live in this post-Kissingerian world order where the, the third world is, um, is, is basically ravaged for commodities and used as a testing ground for uh, the machinations of the elite. The second world is this this sweatshop uh, that uh, produces um, the goods for um, the first world, which is this sort of uh, consumerist, um, you know, uh, financialized um, economic model. Um, and I think, you know, that still pertains uh, to this day. Um, and, you know, we saw that with the, the Catholic Kenyan doctors coming out. Um, these things are uh, very easy to. Uh, implement in African countries, paying off local elites. Um, and it, it speaks to the way in which um, globalism and the elite behind things like the Great Reset um, have had um, a, a wider reach uh, for much longer than uh, many people um, give them credit for. Yeah. Okay, uh, speaking of lies and political lies, we need to go back to the United States. The biggest lie that is being told uh, in these United States involves, unfortunately, a fake story about a 10-year-old girl 
who was abused by, uh, sexually abused uh, by uh, uh, an illegal immigrant. And, in, and it's in the state of Ohio. Now, even the Washington Post, which does the Pinocchio thing and the fact-checking thing, has said that although this is a lie, because the president of the United States said it, it has acquired the status of fact. Some of the states don't allow for exceptions for rape or incest. This isn't some imagined horror. It's already happening. Just last week, it was reported that a 10-year-old girl was a rape victim in Ohio, 10 years old. And she was forced to have to travel out of the state to Indiana to seek to terminate the presidency and maybe save her life. That's last part is my judgment. 10 years old. 10 years old. Rape, six weeks pregnant, already traumatized, was forced to travel to another state. Imagine being that little girl. Just... Okay, here's an, an, an enterprising Telemundo a reporter who was able to find the mother of that little girl who denies everything. La niña vivía aquí también. Sí, pero ella está bien. Todo lo que están diciendo en contra de él es mentira. Ya. Y la niña, eh, usted es familiar de la niña. Es mi hija. La señora quien se negó a dar su nombre y quien ocultó su rostro asegura que ella no ha impuesto cargos en contra de Gerson Fuentes de 27 años, quien está acusado de violación. De acuerdo a las autoridades, él confesó que tuvo contacto vaginal al menos dos veces con la niña que recientemente cumplió 10 años, por lo que se estima que pudiera haber tenido nueve años cuando... Bottom line, we don't actually know what's happening with this story. What we do know is, is there's a lot of fake news and misinformation happening. This is one of the biggest lies being told in these United States. But, Brother Martin, if you tell a lie loudly enough, long enough, and often enough, it can, according to the Washington Post, acquire the status of fact. And unfortunately, what's, what's not being portrayed also in this is, is what the legal status of this family as well, the, the, the nine-year-old, 10-year-old girl and her mother. Um, one of the things that often leads to a lot of abuses of, of, of people is that when, when, when people find that they're, they want something from an illegal immigrant, whatever, they have no problem committing a crime because the, the illegal immigrant can't go to the police and just report the crime unless they're willing to get deported even themselves. So the concealing of the face, the concealing of the name by the mother and all that kind of stuff could have other repercussions, why she's also denying these facts, even if they're true. So whether or not we'll get to the, the, the whole truth of the matter, I don't know, because as we know, rapes often happen between people that know each other. And so within the same communities, it, it, it could be likely that um, both parties were both illegal immigrants. And so all this national attention and attention from the law coming down on, on this family, um, the mother knows could have very detri detrimental effects on, on, on them. And so she, she, she also could very well be lying and saying that nothing happened. Um, so that's also makes the, the whole situation pretty sticky. But nonetheless, it, it puts a whole uh, spotlight on what it means to be an illegal immigrant, all the problems that it causes for people in their lives. It doesn't really make for yourself a better life if you come here as an illegal immigrant uh, because of situations like this. Like people can abuse you and, you and you have no recourse to the justice system as if our justice system is even just to begin with. Yeah, um, our justice system is designed to protect those who have the gold. Uh, those who have the gold make the rules. And okay. also notice the, the contrast, too. So when Donald Trump was out there right after the election talking about uh, claiming 
uh, alleging that there was election fraud. We'll try to avoid the YouTube censors here. <laughs> but when he's making his claims, the media said, oh, what the president said is so wrong, they had to shut him off, right? Mm -hmm. um, completely, you know, silence the president of the United States. Now, on the other hand, because it's a the president they like, the media is saying, well, um, since Joe Biden said it, it's a fact, even though it's not true. And that, that disconnect is, is essentially, again, the system, wherever the official organ is, like whoever is supposed to be in charge, they're really only in charge in as much as the fourth estate, which is the media, says they are. And of course, they're paid for and funded by about five or six elites in, in the world who themselves, who knows who they're beholden to. So, and this is an interesting point, though, because a statement that is not true, that lacks any type of veracity, can change its its metaphysical form, its being, and become true if enough people or the right people or the important people believe the statement. So, in other words, there's no such thing, Peter, as anything that is objectively or verifiably true or false the thing that makes something true or false is whether or not there is a force of government behind it. I mean, this is this is uh, beyond 1984 level of of uh, of mind control and thought control and thought policing at this point. And as Ryan said, the fourth estate is not only complicit in it; they're leading the charge. Yes. Well, the denial of objective reality is the cornerstone of modernity, and. Although there is um, uh, disagreement about what you could term our own epoch, um, we were talking previously about the the philosopher Alexander Dugin, who who says that uh, this creation of of narrative of discourse is uh, the mark of postmodernity, and uh, behind it is always the will to power. So that. Um, that that narrative is subordinate to some um, some uh, objective, some temporal objective. Um, I think we should remember that this is just the inevitable consequence of the revolution against Christian civilization, uh, which began uh, well with nominalism, began with the uh, the disintegration of the medieval synthesis. Um, and really broke out into the open with the Protestant Revolution that created the confusion about what the true contents of Christianity was. Uh, so, as Catholics, we should um, have the uh, the, the far-reaching sight to be able to see uh, that this is all inevitable. This is just an implication of previous um, uh, philosophical uh, yeah. commitments, philosophical errors. Uh, Dr. John Senior who I would say is one of the, the great um, American traditional scholars, said that the, the history of philosophy um, uh, since the Protestant Revolution is the progressive revelation of the religion of Satan. Um, so, uh, you know, he wasn't holding back. Um, <laughs> and uh, this uh, uh, denial of objectivity, uh, as you say, is, um, is, a, is the keynote. Um, what I would say is uh, let's be careful not to be drawn into that and um, take chances, not take chances to sublimate um, 
events to narrative. And I see this quite a lot where, you know, something happens and people say, well, that means that Pope Francis's consecration was, you know, efficacious, um, you know, without without it really being clear to me that the, um, you know, the the effects of um, that consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Russia, worldwide peace and so on being apparent. Um, so I think, uh, we, yeah, we should be careful not to um, fall into into this trap and just make um, uh, Catholicism appear to be, you know, another voice in this marketplace of ideas, this other ideological perspective. No, the true faith is, the, you know, the whole of reality as it is. Um, and uh, this is all marked by, you know, this is just the echo of, um, of, of Lucifer's cry uh, against God. You know, I will make myself like the most high non-Serviam. Professor Senior knew a thing or two about the religion of Satan as well, himself having uh, spent a first part of his adult life in the study of the occult. Um, okay, let's, let's take this to its final conclusion, though. The lack of uh, objective truth, the lack of appealing to anything outside of oneself, nothing transcendent to appeal to, has led to the following uh, string of videos. This is typical life in the United States of America. Viewer discretion is advised. There's foul language. It's things that you don't necessarily want to see. But first of all, children in San Francisco getting off the bus. This is how they get off the bus and walk home from school. Goodbye, kids. Y'all get home safe, okay? Y'all get home safe. My little, my little partners out here, get home safe, all right? I'm sorry y'all gotta be going to see all this shit. Okay? Get home safe. They gotta walk through this shit. Come on, man. These little kids got to walk through this shit. This shit is crazy. Children in San Francisco are walking past and by. Uh, meanwhile, typical day in New York City, where police are just routinely shot at. Language warning. He really shot at the cops. Meanwhile, uh, U.S. Olympian Kim Glass is, steps out of her apartment and is assaulted. As I was leaving lunch, I was outside and I was saying goodbye to a friend. And um, this homeless man ran up. Um, he had something in his hand on. He was outside of the car in the street and he just like looked at me with some pretty hateful eyes and um as i turned to go tell my friend i think something's like wrong with him and i think he's gonna hit car before i knew it a big metal bolt like pipe hit me and hit me right here here i just it happened so fast in case casual violence is something that you don't think will happen to you, here's somebody uh, describing on TikTok uh, how she behaves criminally, a language warning again, whenever she sees a Trump sticker or a conservative sticker. One of my toxic traits. So whenever I see a car with hella Trump stickers, or really any sticker that I don't agree with, um, I fuck with it. 
I cut it off. I don't let it on the merge. And that brings me joy. <laughs> And when you try to rise up, when you try to point out the inconsistencies in the grooming of children like this man did at a school board meeting in Clay County, which is in Kansas City, Missouri, the heart of America, this man, they take your microphone away. Merely, They say, what you're about to read to me, which is available in a public school, cannot be broadcast on television. There are federal and state laws against broadcasting pornography. Um. Tonight, I'm going to give a sampling from three books that are in our libraries, the Fleming School and the Oakleaf School. And then we can discuss, you can discuss, the process by which these books get on the shelves, because there's a Clay County employee that got paid to put this book, Lucky, by Alice Sabol. I'm going to read things. If there's children watching, cover their ears. He began to need I'm going to stop you right there, sir. I'm going to stop you right there. Microphone off. Turn off his microphone, please. I've told you I'm stopping you. The reason I'm stopping you is because these meetings are, if you'll hush your mouth for a minute and listen instead of just talking, you may learn something. Well, the problem is, sir, is these meetings are broadcast. There are people at home that are watching it on YouTube. There are people that are watching it on community television. Are you going to listen or are you going to run your mouth? You'll get it back, but you'll get it back to talk about something besides reading pornography into a, a public television set. Well, let me explain something to you. There are federal and state laws that prohibit you from saying the things that you're getting ready to say on television. There are state. So it's okay to read it in the classroom. It's okay to have it in the library, but it's not okay to say it on television because there are state and local uh, and federal laws against it. That was Clay County. One final uh, day in the life of random lawlessness. This is in England. You'll like this, Peter. Um, how'd you like to be the man filming this? You get chased by police today. Corrupt boy. <laughs> He's out of breath. You have to where he's gone. Can you film me, mate? Where's he gone? Where's he gone? On the one hand, I don't necessarily blame these uh, folks for not necessarily complying with uh, the police, especially given the fact that the police are often the instruments of the New World Order and its implementation, its violent implementation against our wills. On the other hand, uh, the lawlessness, the, the casual lawlessness, let's go around the horn and talk about the breakdown of society. Ryan, Starbucks has announced that they are pulling out of 16 downtown. They're closing 16 core urban locations because, quote, the United States is no longer safe. There is a crime wave happening in these United States and around the world. There is a breakdown 
of law and order. This is long overdue. This is something I think that the elites uh, are frankly okay with, but this is the inevitable results, in my opinion, of the breakdown of the family and the total lack, especially in these United States, the lack of any sort of unifying patrimonial culture that we could potentially even appeal to here. It's a two-edged sword. On the one side, from the bottom, and I think it's exactly as you've mentioned, uh, the increase in lawlessness, um, you know, the traditional right versus left American politic wants to make that, oh, see, these cities, they don't have enough guns, they have restrictive gun laws, so nobody has guns, and I'm a gun owner, I love my guns, I, you know, make use of my Second Amendment rights to carry a gun in public all the time, and I do think an armed society is a more polite society, but that's still not absolutely necessary because uh, guess what in the 1920s and 30s and 40s most people did not carry guns around with them on their person for the most part and yet uh, society was fairly well ordered and happy what because you at least had a family you had the family unit you had values instilled father to son if the, you know your kids were out causing trouble you as the father came out and you read them the riot act one way or the other you brought them back into line you passed on, you know, you know, good values and society shunned bad actors and did not promote lawless people. So since especially the 1960s and 70s in this country, uh, lawlessness has been promoted through culture, through art, whatever it is that culture is in this country, through art, through movies, through a lot of it's glorified. And, and people like to jump on the black community for this because of music videos that glorify drug dealers and rap and whatnot. Well, let's look at the same thing happens in, in, with white people and, and with other groups all around. Uh, lawlessness is celebrated in, in a certain way, right? Especially in, in schools, in, in, in what have you. Uh, the sort of opposition to the system that's always in it. You're always the good guy, no matter what you're kind of fighting for. Then you look at the other side of it, which is the kind of the, the imposition of this positive law. And I'm thinking of what we were just talking about in the previous segment with in terms of, um, you know, the state declaring what, what is and is not a fact and what is and is not a law. What's the purpose of a law is to regulate a society in towards the common good, towards their final end really and that's why law has to have a certain sense of permanence because it has to have the respect of the populace in order to be obeyed but if you're changing the laws all the time and adding new laws as as we are in this country adding laws upon laws upon laws to the point where every american is guilty of a felony at least every day uh, because of all these laws that nobody knows even exist then you decrease your respect for the law and then you know with this kind of positive law tradition law is what we've decided it to be and i just keep thinking back to the trial of saint thomas more where after he's convicted he spoke his mind and he said very clearly that the king cannot be the head of the english church because our fathers and our fathers before them even before england was england have accorded that title to the pope in unity with all christendom and there is no law that can accord this to you know to the king because it's absolutely contrary and, and of course his, his oratory was so powerful it moved everyone especially the duke of norfolk who was not uh very keen on this whole process and thomas aldley the lord high chancellor had to come in with a bit of good bit of english uh legal positivism and say well the law is what the king and the parliament says it is and that's how you know that was blazing through and that same idea that same notion of positive law 
that overrides your, your various rights causes, you know, again, th there's, there's no respect for the law because the law doesn't seem to care about your common good or your telos. It's always changing and it's at the diktat of whoever's at the top. So you have the erosion from the bottom and you have the erosion from the top. Yeah, absolutely. Peter, uh, we're seeing lawlessness around the country uh, in the United States. We're seeing lawlessness around the world. My view is that this is encouraged by the elite or at least tacitly consented to by them. Lawlessness is what helps them strengthen their grip on societies. What do you see? Dying civilizations accumulate laws just as dying men accumulate remedies. That was uh, Nicholas Gomez Davila, the proudly uh, reactionary Colombian thinker. Um, Ryan is quite right. As the uh, as man retreats from God and the effects of the gospel, which are the internalization of the law, um, as that recedes, as that uh, is vitiated, the uh, multiplication of of external law, of positive law, uh, to try and uh, to try and account for that um, that lack of government of men's own souls. Uh, where you know just inevitably increases um, but there's something else here which uh, is notable and I've talked about how the um, uh, the retreat from objectivity characterizes this crisis of the intellect the ob the um, uh, the truth being the the object of the intellect to apprehend but also we're seeing this crisis of the will this sort of late civilizational exhaustion where you have these, you know, this cup of abominations filling up, overfilling, you know, how, how much, how much further can it go? Uh, teaching sodomy in schools, um, you know, the, 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 the sort of rampant obscenities and, and lawlessness, the public immodesty. And yet people are just apathetic. Uh, they, they, there's, there's no, um, there's no will to actually, um, counter any of this at all uh, because people have uh, a god-sized hole in their souls who have they they have rejected for false idols money sex power um and they to to uh to um stand up to to this uh this abominations would be to um stand in judgment against the atheistic materialism to which they've they've given their lives so the problem goes a lot deeper um, as as Ryan was saying, it's it's it goes right into you know men's souls. That's where the drama is. Um, and we were speaking earlier about the the grooming crisis, um, the grooming um, affliction in Telford and other British cities from uh, Pakistani gangs um, of uh, vulnerable um, working class. Um, native uh, english girls and young women um and a report came out this week about the staggering scale of this abuse the coordination the organization that is behind it and yet there's just this there's just this apathy you know they, they there is no outrage anymore which i sense there would have been uh 40 years ago now the expression of that outrage might not have been completely wholesome it might have been a you know a mob of working class men uh, you know, uh, engaging in violence on the street, but that still shows that people people care about these um, 
these great evils. Um, but now people people just don't care. Um, and I think you know you see that in so many things, um, and most prominently, uh, or, or or most um, most obviously, perhaps, is the decline in natality. The fact that people are just not having babies, um, and liberalism is suicidal. So um, it wants to kill itself, and this gets to the very heart of the mystery of iniquity that um the devil both wants to be god and also wants to um annihilate himself because his very existence still gives glory to god um so you're starting to see more and more crazed um lunatic behavior from the revolutionary left because of that uh, inner suicidal impulse um so uh, i'm afraid that's what we're going to continue continue to see um, but um, we can um, take, um, uh, we can derive some consolation from knowing this is a, a purification that's going about, and that God saw fit from all eternity for us to live in this time and sanctify our lives, and hopefully those uh, of uh, the souls around us. Brother Martin, thoughts on the lawlessness of uh, the Western world, the breakdown of our social institutions, the mistrust of the pillars of our societies, even now in encompassing those institutions which used to be above reproach, law enforcement, military, etc. Um, nothing is uh, trustworthy anymore. Nothing is sacrosanct. Uh, thoughts on the unraveling of civilization. Well, from Uvalde to the latest clip that you showed from uh, New York, the police officers getting shot at. In Uvalde, you have police officers preferring to get hand sanitizer um, to, to wash their hands while 20 innocent children are getting slaughtered. They're all there with all their equipment, with their rifles. They're all afraid of one one rifle when they all have what, some 20 rifles there. They can't break another door and, and shoot the guy. Uh, between that, between New York having strict gun laws, and just some random guy being able to shoot at cops and the cops not doing anything, not pursuing him uh, to protect the, the common good, to protect the rest of society from other gunshots. Uh, it, it seems that the, the police are, are very disinterested in even enforcing the law. So I think that that's one of the things is that the, the police are very selective in what they choose to enforce. They, they, they'll enforce the new world order. They'll, they'll enforce um, people walking into a business without a mask so that the business has to close and, and make less money. But the police officers won't enforce the law when it comes to saving children's lives or or, uh, or uh, enforcing gun laws. And of course, all the law-abiding citizens, because of our, our nature, wanting wanting to be law-abiding, because we know it's it's to our benefit, to our or to our good as human beings, to to, to obey just laws. Um, we 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 always lose out, always lose out. And so I think that that's what gives uh, at least on, on a very practical level. Um, birth to the distrust that we have in, in the institutions that we all used to put our faith in. Um, in life, we, we, we all, there's so many things to worry about on a day-to-day -day basis. And especially with children, you worry about absolutely everything because I mean, children are so precious that you want institutions that are faithful uh, to their mission precisely because that gives you one less thing to have to worry about. All you have to do is trust that institution and you're good. You can worry about other, other things that there aren't other institutions to protect things from. And that goes from the lawlessness and, in, in Society, the lawlessness in our church, we, we're all, I guess in families, the biggest crisis is that there doesn't seem to be a single institution that you, that you can trust anymore. You have to be a theologian. You have to be a protector of your family. You have to 
uh, be a, a, a nutritionist because you have to know what your children are eating. You have to look at the ingredients and make sure you're getting food that isn't going to poison them because of preservatives or whatever else. It's like you have to be a master of all trades, not just a jack of all trades, but a master of all trades, uh, precisely because there's there's no institutions anymore that 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 will defend your good. Um, so I think that there's, there's a huge, obviously, as you said, there's a huge breakdown in, in the in the lawfulness of society to, to becoming lawlessness. But also to point out, too, is that those 16 Starbucks um, that had to close down, they were all in California, Oregon, and Washington State. And so what do those three, those three have in common? They're all blue states. They're all, they all fa- favor freedom to criminals, but enforce uh, laws whenever it comes to, to white collars, uh, white collar criminals, so, so to speak. Um, they, they enforce laws like and taxes on the middle class. And so there, there definitely is an agenda behind all of it. Uh, lawlessness creates disorder, it creates chaos, and that's what kind of communism thrives on. Um, is is to make everybody suffer so much disorder that they're willing to take, uh, that really to trust any any institution, any institution at all that comes in and just, just tries to rectify things just a little bit. Yeah, indeed, gentlemen. There's so much more that I wanted to get to in this show. We are coming up on our second hour. We have to land the plane. And, and to do that, uh, what I would like to do is demonstrate how the Fed plans uh, their, uh, their preparations they're making for a soft landing uh, in these hard economic times. Soft landing, hard times. There we go. Okay. Um, there are so many things we can talk about. I want to talk about COVID. I want to talk about uh, the wokeism and the groomers, but we do have to get to our unpopular opinions and the grifting segment. A, a word of advice, though, if you're watching the rundown or listening to it and you're white, uh, go ahead and, and consider uh, not producing any content at all for TikTok. In fact, even if you're not white, uh, d- just appropriate this message to yourself and just get off of TikTok. If you're a white liberal leftist or consider yourself to be a white ally, I have a challenge for you. Don't create any more content on TikTok until September 22nd. And honestly, you deserve a break because every day is a white person day and y'all must be exhausted. So while you sit back listen, learn, and truly decenter yourself, Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, we got it from here. Please, though, continue to like, comment, and share our content because y'all are always talking about how you want to support us and create equity. But the truth that so many of y'all are unwilling to accept is that you do not want Black, Indigenous, and other people of color to lead and pave the way because what would we do without your perspective, your voice, your commentary, your education? We would thrive. I've never been on TikTok, so I guess I've already been doing it. But, you know, she does bring up a point. Um, James is not with us this week. Uh, he, he was uh, not available. So uh, I'm feeling that lack of diversity that we, we so strongly present with. So... I'm going to check my privilege again. Oh again, again. I can't believe that you actually keep that thing in your wallet. 
it's a great gimmick when you go into a place and uh, you give it to a cashier. Or <laughs> I'm surprised that you do that. I'm surprised that you do that. All right. Uh, Peter, you've been with us before. You know how this works. We're going to give our unpopular opinions. We traditionally start with Ryan. Ryan, you are up this week. The unpopular opinion poll goes out on Twitter. Uh, you can give your unpop and then we'll pull up the poll if you want to at the end. Where I got it. Can you see the poll now? Oh, there it is. Yep. Here it is. Perfect. And so, yeah, so last uh, week, uh, I won again. So uh, I guess people really were upset about uh, my Mel Gibson <laughs> view. Um, the Patriot is absolutely the, one of the worst movies I've ever seen in terms of uh, historical presentation. And so I guess uh, people did not like that. It was tr- maybe truly unpopular for once. I don't know. Um, I Frankly, I thought your guys' opinions were stronger. So anyway, that's, that's kind of amusing. So, all right. So this week, uh, my unpopular opinion uh yeah i'm not gonna run with the one i was going to run with um so unfortunately i'm not okay so here we go uh so my unpopular opinion is uh where we are in 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 our state currently where uh housing the housing crisis is a big thing and there's always stories about people with very large families, uh, the owner of, say, a house or a building, this is not my case, by the way, who is, is even a Catholic or a traditional Catholic. And is as well, the market technically says I can get X amount of money, so therefore I've got to boot you out of the house uh, unless you can pay double what you've been paying right now, even though you, you obviously can't pay it. Um, or you have, again, you know, just in general, lots of people getting uh, leases not renewed over, well, I just decided not to. And, um, you know, the, this, the whole way that renting works, like for my part, the, the, especially the property that we had, I, I, and I've mentioned in my case, it was more a question of our, the owners of the property. They wanted to put their son there before they died. So I get it. Yeah, obviously, you know, but at the same time, there is a callousness when it comes to people who are renting housing where it's it's merely some disposable asset. Uh, their families, their lives, the people who are renting there, that doesn't seem to matter at all to a lot of owners and a lot of people who have, uh, you know, a rental property. And obviously there's people who are the exceptions to this, but a lot of renters, even Catholics, even traditional Catholics will, you know, just look at, you know, the people living in the house and that that's not really their home. That's merely an asset I have on the books so that, uh, you know, people callously being kind of booted out of, out of homes they've lived in sometimes for years, just because of some technicality or some, you know, where a home is a home and a home should be a home, uh, you know, a family's home. And if, and if you are in a position where you're renting, there should be some kind of rights that prevent uh, you from being, you know, just, just summarily kicked out of a home. Um, unless obviously the obvious things you're destroying it, like absolutely destroying it, or you, 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 ha- you just decide not to pay the rent and things like that and, and whatnot. I mean, th- those are vi- fundamental violations, but really a home is a home and there should be some way that we can work in to allow, you know, uh, you know, you know, rent, you know, uh, eventual rent to buy type of things or, or what have you, there should be a way that the home can remain a home 
and not, and I'm not even just saying this because I hate moving and I hate moving right now, uh, especially because, you know, it looks like we're going to come out okay. But I know a lot of people who are not. And I know people who are seriously looking at the prospect of uh, trying to pull their resources together, get an RV and park it in a park and make that their home because they just don't know how they can get away, you know, get on in this market. So my unpopular opinion is rental homes need to be real homes and there has to be laws to reflect that and reflect that these belong in a in, in a certain sense that people who just like people who labor in, in, a, in a business who do the labor uh should have some kind of ownership in what's being produced at this in that it's more commensurate than this kind of you know proletariat work for hire system we have going likewise on property ownership and you know, it, your home is your home and there should be a type of buy-in where it becomes your home and it becomes permanent and is not just callously thrown away like some assets so that people can just be booted off into tent cities or what have you. Brother Martin, your unpopular opinion this week. It's a very short one, but man, I've been coming in last place quite a few weeks. So, so I'm, I'm pulling out the big one here. It's very short, very sweet, but if I don't win, I don't know. Think of our audience, but my unpopular opinion this week is that Pope Francis is Pope. My unpopular opinion. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Peter, I won't ask you to confirm or deny uh, your thoughts on Brother Martin's unpopular opinion, but you can give us yours. Well, I'm not sure how unpopular this will be, um, but I'm interested to, to hear whether this is something that you've detected um, as well uh, within the tradition within the traditional milieu. Um, I've noticed that um, there's been a tremendous um, growth in interest in the apostolic Roman rites and in traditionalism um, and in counter-revolutionary thought um, as as events continue to deteriorate uh, in the temporal sphere in the last couple of years. Great numbers of converts uh, for which um, we should be very grateful. Um, these are uh, you know great signs. Um, but one thing I've noticed in in some traditional circles is a flirtation and an interest in, um, you could say, ethno-nationalism, alt-right politics. Um, I would say I would um, uh, characterize it as a prioritization of nature over supernature. Um, so an absorption or a temptation to uh, think about the the motifs, the themes of um, basically Darwinian discourse and it's modernist uh, to say that uh, there's some kind of racial determinism um, about um, uh, you know a particular ethnic group um, and that's to do that's that's at the heart of this uh, decay of uh, former Christian civilization it's uh, deflection and it's um, it's an expression of frustration uh, that young uh, European uh, men often feel but it's completely wrong uh, the cause of the decay is uh, the rejection of God. Um, and uh, I'm not saying that that ethnic groups, races don't exist or that they're not important. But quite frankly, we've got to see things with a supernatural logic, which is to say that baptism uh, makes uh, the subject um, uh, an adopted son of God. Uh, and that is infinitely more important than how much melanin someone has in their skin. Um, so uh, to to um, to to overemphasize and prioritize uh, race is to be a modernist, is to absorb 
uh, Darwinian errors. Um, you know, Europe uh, is, is you know, to get absorbed in obsessions about sort of racial IQs and so on, um, I won't go into it here, but I think ethnic groups are different and are meant to reflect uh, different uh, qualities and characteristics of uh, of the of of God, who is infinite, just like people are. Of you know, the the, the saints are incredibly diverse uh, communion, uh, and I think that's that's what God intended for nations as well. Um, so I would just say that as um, the as mainstream politics, as the Overton window moves more and more left, uh, and the revolution gains a greater hold, um, be careful of uh, the temptation of uh, the false right, of uh, anything that doesn't put um, our Lord, Jesus Christ, and his Holy Catholic Church at the centre. If it doesn't, it's not the answer. Okay, excellent. These are all very strong and competitive, unpopular opinions, so I'm not sure what my chances are this week, but I'm going to make mine, which is as follows. We hear a lot today about the cardinal virtue of prudence. Lots of people claim to be prudent. Everyone says that he or she is prudent. It's the most misused cardinal virtue that there is. And my contention, in fact, is that the worst perpetrators of this misuse, the people who are least prudent, in fact, are traditionalists. When they say that they're being prudent or making a prudential judgment, they are, in fact, not. And here's what I mean by that. Prudence is a cardinal virtue which governs the intellect, uh, one of the higher faculties of man. But prudence has to be ordered towards the eternal. Has to be. Otherwise, it's just what's called natural prudence or in other places called cardinal prudence. Natural prudence or cardinal prudence is all about getting ahead, being shrewd, sharp as a whip. It's about uh, being uh, intelligent, acquiring knowledge, outsmarting the opponent, having a natural gain here on this earth. Most traditionalists, when they talk about prudence, are only merely referring to cardinal prudence, natural prudence. When prudence is well-ordered and it governs the other virtues, it has a relationship to the other virtues unlike any of the other cardinal virtues. It governs them, has a governing power over the other virtues, including justice, fortitude, and temperance, and the, and the sub-virtues which flow from there. When it is properly ordered towards your salvation, then it is supernatural prudence. But when it's cardinal prudence, when it's just being smart, keeping your head down, being smart, not getting obliterated by the enemy, not popping up and uh, getting your head shot off by the enemy, that's just cardinal prudence. And when most traditionalists say the word prudence, when they say, oh, it's we've made a prudential decision that we're only going to do Latin masses on these days, We've made a prudential decision that we're not going to have donuts after mass anymore. We're not going to stand outside because for prudence sake, we don't want the police knowing that we have a Latin mass going on here when there are lockdown, illegal lockdowns happening in our, in our uh, culture. Many, many traditionalists overuse the word prudence, misuse the word prudence and appropriate to the cardinal virtue, the natural and carnal versions of prudence. But unless prudence is oriented towards natural salvation, it's not prudence. It's cowardice. And that's unfortunately what we have seen in the traditional movement. Most men are cowards. And, it's be, and, and they hide behind the idea that they're being prudent. Natural prudence leads to indecision, 
and inaction, which in the moral sphere is often just cowardice. It's weakness. And in the worst version of that is betrayal. So anytime you have a friend who says that he or she is being prudent, I'm just going to make a prudential decision. I have to keep my head down here. Wise as serpents and innocent as doves is what these people like to quote. Well, you're not being wise as a serpent or innocent as a dove on a natural level. Uh, maybe you are doing that. But uh, what we're called to do is have prudence exercise towards our objective end. And if prudence isn't thinking about our salvation, willing to accept the consequences, governing fortitude in terms of giving us courage to overcome obstacles or to face the, the, uh, uh, the dangers that we face, both spiritual and temporal, then it's not really prudence. It's just being a you-know-what. It's another way of saying you're a pussycat. That is, uh, that's the unpopular opinion. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we have to get to the grifter segment. It is the most important thing that we do on this show, right? All right. So first I want to address something that happened last week. Uh, Somebody who watched the show asked me on Twitter uh, where they could donate. Now, my account had actually been hacked the day before that. I didn't know that at the time. And so then the, the, the hacker who was there or a bot that was scrolling the account, I'm not sure exactly how it worked, tried to direct him to send to a, pay, a, a an email address on PayPal that I don't have. And I didn't see it. I couldn't see it anywhere in my doings. I don't even know how that works. But as soon as that was brought to my attention, I went to lock down my account. And as I was doing it, the hacker had switched the email address and the handle and then uh, sent tons of messages to people asking people for uh for money or try to upsell herbal viagra and other interesting and fun things so i did get my account back on sunday so it is me again um you know not uh, not a hacker but anyway twitter don't don't ask questions on twitter um if you do want to contact me to discuss any if you feel called again i don't want to ask anyone to part with their hard-earned money uh just to donate it hand it over to me uh and i, I prefer to work for my bread. But if you do feel so called, I'm not going to stop you either because it is actually a remarkable, you know, gift of charity. Uh, just, just do it. Um, you can use my email address, um, which I believe you will find at mediatrexpress.com. You just use info at mediatrexpress.com to get a hold of me rather than uh, asking on social media, just in case some kind of hacking thing is again. And I, you know, as always, I'm never going to ask directly in a dm for you know somebody i barely know to give me money i'm never going to do that so just to putting that out there um but it's it's i want to thank everyone who has felt so called to send donations and they've been extremely helpful and you know because it, it it's an act of charity so in the and i compare it this way it's like you know I, I bought a lottery ticket just for the sake of it two bucks nothing lost not 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 putting any trust in that but if i did win by some random thing yeah i'd have all my material needs met but uh, and I wouldn't say no if someone's going to offer me a winning ticket. But at the same time, the acts of charity that people are are, are making to to give their hard earned money spiritually are far greater than if I, I happen to have the winning lottery ticket. Frankly, uh, it might feel nicer on my material side, and I'd certainly be given a lot away if I did. But the reality is, the acts of charity of people who are saying, "Well, here's a guy that I respect and I like, and I'm going to, you know, try to help him out here." That's a real act of charity that 
you know, a lot of Catholics are are losing, you know, touch with. So I, I want to thank especially um, one of our listeners uh, who is currently in the chat, so I won't dox her, uh, who did send money very generously uh, uh, from a country where the conversion rate is not nice. So uh, I want to thank you very much for that, for, the, for that kindness. And, and she's also ordered before. Um, and then also make sure I don't dox anyone. Okay. So uh, Paul and Marco, I just received uh, uh, from you today. Thank you again so much. It, it's a huge help uh, as I have to make closing costs as well as other moving costs. So, and otherwise, um, if you go to mediatrixpress.com, I have the Catechism Explained by Stories and Examples. Uh, this is a fantastic book, same same author as the Catechism Explained, the big catechism, Father Sparago. And this is full of a lot of different examples on subjects of the faith and on catechism, uh, which basically takes you know various points of catechism and gives stories and examples to illustrate them. Um, and, and a lot of wonderful things here. Uh, you know, from stories from the tradition, from lives of the saints, from other places where, uh, you know, a lot of these have come down that illustrate really very powerfully confessions. This is great for young adults. I, I would say um, I'm trying to judge from like the secular world, what your reading level is. But if you're homeschooling or if you have a good private school, probably at a sixth grade le reading level, they'll be perfectly fine with this. Um, possibly later if. Uh, if we're working on the secular standard. So then today is the feast of St. Bonaventure or actually rather yesterday, I think. And actually there's an easy way for me to find out is uh, in this book, <clears throat> the Seraphic order. Um, yeah, that was yesterday. Sorry. Uh, where you have uh, readings of Franciscan saints for every single day of, uh, of the year. So it's it's a it's a reprint of uh, the you know just the Franciscan Book of Saints from uh, about 1962. I did have an uh, uh, an upset email from somebody that was like, "Why is there no Padre Pio and Father Casey Solanus Casey that is in the book?" And um, I just point out, well, uh, those two saints probably held that book, or at least Father Casey probably held that book in its original form, uh, and so it. And the author, Father Hibig, does a wonderful job of, of getting a very succinct and uh, spiritually powerful biography of every Franciscan saint in the book and added with prayers. And I, nor, you know, nor anyone uh, that we have uh, you know, on staff, we felt that we could equal it. So we decided not to add things for, uh, you know, for saints. I was thinking Maximilian Colby as well as... Uh, Father, as as well as Father Solanus Casey and, and, and Padre Pio, but when I just looked at it, I said, "There's no way I can even come close to equaling it." Let's leave it as it was, without changing it around. So you can get both those books with many others at MediatrixPress.com. And as soon as I get uh, moved in and settled where I'm going, we'll be in uh, you know kind of temporary setup for a while until um, the house is all set up. But uh, once the moving's done, I'll finally get back to, I got a bunch of books that are near completion and finally will be a completion. As always, thank you guys for supporting the Obeys of St. Augustine. We couldn't exist as a traditional uh, Catholic monastery uh, without all of you guys' support. And I'm a million times grateful for, for all of the support you've continued to give us, especially through the turbulent times and in the church and specifically for our community. 
uh, soon for those discerning our community, um, because there are those discerning our community, um, the conversation will have to come up about uh, formal education. And as you guys know, formal education is not something that's cheap. Um, so I'm just putting it out there that as the needs of our community grow, so unfortunately do the financial costs. Um, so if you, it, last week our, our website had some difficulty. Um, there was a plugin or something that didn't work with all the other plugins on our WordPress site, um, but it's up now, www.obitosanaugustin.com slash giving. Um, you can go there and, and help keep tradition alive and, and, and uh, help a traditional Augustinian community uh, to grow and to thrive. That's it. That's it. That's all you Peter with Vonday Radio. What's next for you? How can we support you? Well, we've had quite a quiet period at Vonday Radio um, in the last few months, but um, that will soon change. We've got a few uh, broadcasts planned um, to start with something slightly different where I um, offer a commentary on uh, that Jordan Peterson, Dave Rubin uh, dialogue. And I um, hopefully provide some um, useful analysis um, on how, on the kind of rhetorical tricks that the mainstream right uses to shift the Overton window leftward uh, and keep conservative minded people invested in the system. Um, so that should be... Um, should be uploaded uh, in the next few days. Um, and then I have a planned panel discussion on the importance of the First World War and its impact on the Catholic Church and on the Catholic city. I think like the French Revolution, it's an event of enormous magnitude. Um, it's hard to, to uh, over-exaggerate its importance and its effects. Um, so I'll be talking with Charles Coulomb, um, with Dr. Alan Fimister, um, and perhaps with another guest uh, on the world before the First World War, um, the uh, the war itself, the horrors, uh, and then the effects, uh, the uh, this uh, disintegration, this dissolution of of Christendom uh, that it uh, was a, a major um, episode in. So look out for those, and and please subscribe. I'm still on YouTube, and I can also be found on. Uh, Anchor FM for the audio and podcast versions. Okay, I want to do two things here on my grift. First, I want to promote what is called the Consecration of Texas. I think you can see it on the screen here. You can go to consecratetexas.com. This is going to be a lay led movement to consecrate Texas to the sacred heart of Jesus. Um, this is happening from uh, the auspices of traditionalists all across Texas, from north to south and east to west, multiple parishes, multiple um, clans, if you will, are involved in this. This website is very simple, uh, straightforward, uh, and to the point. It's a quote from Quas Primus from uh, Pope Pius the. 11th, when, when once men recognize both in private and public life, the crisis king society will at last receive the great blessing of real liberty, well-ordered discipline, peace, and harmony. So this is consecration to Christ the king of the state of Texas. My guess is that lots of influential people that you care about, especially those who may live in Texas, are going to be a part of this. If you want to be a part of it as well, 
go to the website, consecratetexas.com. Secondly, what I'd like to do is, is ask you, I haven't talked about this in a long time, but if you are so interested in helping me defeat uh, those people in Ferndale, Michigan, who have told so many lies about me and others that are demonstrable, um, you can go to givesengo.com slash defeatcmtv. Church Militant has to be stopped. Uh, they've misappropriated the title of traditionalist. Today, they're even talking about Father Ripperger. Uh, in their bid to try to convince you that they're one of us. They are a wolf in sheep's clothing, and they need to be defeated. Givesongo.com slash defeat CMTV if you're interested. I didn't play that video. I'm not sure how that video got played, but it is, it's, that's the wolf in sheep's clothing video. Also, finally, as a programming note, this is two hours and 19 minutes in. It's after one in the, cl- uh, in the morning for Peter at Bondi Radio. Your eyes are very likely glossed over. Don't forget to subscribe to The Rundown. It's its own YouTube channel. It's its own thing. It's, it's, it's become self-aware. It's more than 2,000 subscribers, and yet we get 7,000 views. So 5,000 of you aren't subscribed to the YouTube channel when you watch these, these podcasts. You need to do that because RTF may not be around forever. But perhaps The Rundown will live on.